I'm going to be mostly in the gospel today. In John 14, we're sort of in the beginning to the middle of a large chunk of scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. On Tuesday nights, we're doing Hebrews. And for those of you who have been there, we talked about the New Covenant this last week. And I said to you a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to you, anybody thinks he understands God as a fool? I still think that, but I'm going to try. And the question that I would have for you is, how does the new covenant fit in the progression from God walking with us in the garden to the new covenant? There's a progression there. And what is it about our current spiritual regime that is moving us to the new covenant? Now, I'm going to assume that God knows what he's doing. I'm going to also assume that if God knows what he's doing and we're where we are, that where we are is where we need to be according to his plan. Now, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. There are some things that God can't do and can't make. God, for example, can't love himself. He can't give himself respect. He can't be in relationship with himself. He needs somebody else to do that. Similarly, we've talked in Hebrews about the difference between people and angels. And as I understand it, angels are just sort of made, complete. We're not. We're put here and we have to live a lifetime in order to become something different than we were born. In other words, there must be something about us that God can't make. It's something that has to be developed. Because otherwise we'd be like angels and just go poof, and we'd be what we are and that would be it. Now, in Scripture there's a progression. And it starts at the garden. And early on in Scripture, what you see is God sort of walking along and holding our hand. Today we have God intervening in history and destroying the Egyptian army. Israel didn't have to fight the Egyptians. God did that. But when we get to Deborah, who has to fight the Philistines? Israel does. Now, God helps them along because he brings a rainstorm in the Jezreel Valley, which bogs down the chariots, just like the chariots were bogged down in Exodus here. But the ones who had to actually do the fighting were the Israelites. God helped, but it wasn't really obvious. It was just sort of, oh, wow, look at that. There's a rainstorm. Look at that. All their chariots are stuck in the mud. Look at that. We can run up and we can kill them. Wow. Now, the spiritual regime changed about the Babylonian exile. So the northern kingdom went into exile, and then the southern kingdom goes into exile, and they go to Babylon. They come back from Babylon, and what do they do? They rebuild the temple. Anybody remember what their attitude was toward that rebuilt temple? God was not in the rebuilt temple. And the people who had gone to Babylon and come back, who had seen the old temple, wept. They wept because the presence of God was not in the temple. Now I'm going to read you a passage from Haggai. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? This is a prophet speaking now. Who is among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? 
to your eyes. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. So through the prophet, God assures Israel that he is with them, even though his presence is not in the temple as it was before. In other words, before, the high priest, when he would go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, and there was clouds and all sorts of manifestations of God, it was really obvious to everybody that God was there. And so now they've got this new building, and it isn't obvious to anybody that God is there. And so the prophet says, he's with you. But now listen to this. I'm down to verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt... My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. So what God has said to those people is, the physical presence of God is no longer in the temple, it is not going to be in the temple, but now you've got the Holy Spirit. Then we have a period of about 400 years, which the Jews say is the silent period. No prophets, no prophecy, nothing. And then at the end of that period you have Yeshua the Son of God. And so you have, in a sense, then, God himself is back in the temple for a short period of time. And now Yeshua is telling us, before the crucifixion, that the regime is going to change again. I'm with you now. God was in the temple in the past. But now we're going to go to a new regime where... God is still going to be with you, but he's going to be present with you as the Holy Spirit. No longer in the flesh as the Son of God. No longer what we would call God the Father, where you have the glory of God filling the temple. That's done away with. And I've suggested to you before, and you've heard this before, that there's a progression there. And the progression is very much like raising children. When you've got toddlers, you really need to watch over them. Make sure they don't run into the street. You know, make sure that they don't eat bleach under the counter. You've got to be really close with them. And so you see God, in the beginning, he's really close with us. He sort of watches over us like a hand watches over his chicks. But as time goes by, that distance increases. I read a book that was very interesting. What he said was, early on in the Bible, God seeks us. Later on in the Bible, we seek God. There's a shift. Early on, like in today's Torah portion, there is no doubt whatsoever that God has his hand on Israel as they're going through the Red Sea. God seeks us. But as the Bible goes on, I don't want to say God quits seeking us. That's probably not the way to say it. But things have changed now. And God is distant So now we seek God. How many of you in your prayers say, God, where are you? What you're doing is you're seeking God. You're reaching out to Him. So the relationship between us and God is changed. And I'm sort of assuming that God knows what He's doing. So that change is by design. So let's look at the Holy Spirit because what I'm going to suggest to you is that the Holy Spirit and the way he is described, especially in the book of John, tells us how God wants to relate to us now and how we are to reach out to him 
so that we develop this relationship that he wants us to have with him and so that we are moving toward the implementation of the new covenant. So this end part of the book of John then gives you a list of things that the Holy Spirit does through us, with us, to us. And I'm going to suggest that that list of things gives you a map on how God wants to relate to you as an adult as opposed to as a toddler. So let's look at the description of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, there are lots of people who have no idea what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. One of the things that people do is they romanticize God. Somebody's talking about, oh, God is, and they start stacking superlatives. How many superlatives can I stack up to here so that I can describe God? And we all tend to do that. The Bible doesn't do it that way. Bible's very specific. So, let's start. And the first thing is he is a helper and an advocate. And that's in John 14, 16, which we read last week. John starting in 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the first thing that the Spirit then is, is a helper and an advocate. The next thing he is, is a teacher. That's in John 14, 25, which we read today. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Anybody ever wonder how the Gospels, which were written by different people at different places in the world, all sort of coordinate? There's your answer. You had the people who walked with Yeshua, and I don't know about you, but I keep lousy notes. So you got these guys that are trucking around with Yeshua as he's walking around, and maybe they keep better notes than I do, but I sort of doubt it. So what Yeshua is saying here is when the Spirit comes to you, he will bring these things that I have taught you to mind, and you're going to be able to write them down, and you're going to be consistent with each other. Not because you guys kept really good notes, but because the Spirit is going to come along and he's going to bring these things to memory. That's one of his jobs. So one of his jobs then is he's a teacher. He teaches us things. And part of teaching, of course, is anybody ever took a test, realized that the professor tells you stuff and then he expects you to write down what he told you. That's part of learning, right? And those who are good at remembering things write it down really well, and those of us who don't, don't write it down so well. But the Holy Spirit's job is to be a teacher. The next thing he is is a witness. That's in John 15, which is coming up. And I will read that starting in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he bears witness. Bears witness of Yeshua and through his witness we then can turn and bear witness. So the next thing he is, he's a guide. 
And that's in John 16, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, this is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. For we will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come, which is the next thing he will do. Prophecy. He will declare to you the things that are to come. So he's a guide, and he's also a prophet. Now, there's this one passage in there that I sort of slipped in. Who does he convict of sin? The world. Is his job to convict you of sin? Doesn't say so. Anybody ever get told somewhere that the Spirit will convict you of your sins? Doesn't say that's his job. Doesn't say that's one of the things he's going to do. Now, your conscience will convict you of sin, and it's supposed to. That's what it's designed to do. But it's not the Spirit's job. The Spirit is a guide, a teacher, a helper, a comforter, all sorts of things. God wants to bring you along. He doesn't want to condemn you. Whose job is it to condemn you? Satan's job. That's his job. He's the accuser, right? That's his job. So the Holy Spirit isn't the one that condemns you if you've sinned. Satan does that and your own conscience. The Spirit is designed to encourage you. That's his job. So we've got a guide. We've got a prophet. The next thing he does is he glorifies the Son. And that's in 1614. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the next thing he does is he glorifies the Son. And the final thing he is, is an earnest. And that's in Ephesians 1.11. In him, Yeshua, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Messiah may be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, as I've gone through scripture, I have described to you what God says his spirit will do. Now, what I've suggested to you is that there's a progression from little toddlers where God has to walk along and hold your hands and slay the Egyptians and get rid of the big bad guys for you and all that kind of stuff. That's toddler level. Then you have the son walking among us. That begins to be a horizontal relationship. And then you have the spirit. And what the spirit's job is to move us toward the new covenant. Because what's the new covenant? Jeremiah 31, or Hebrews, if you like. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what he's saying there is, I will have a relationship with you, because at that point, my Torah will be written on your heart. Well, what's one of the things the Holy Spirit does? He teaches, doesn't he? 
And I started off by saying there are some things that God can't create because if God could create us perfect like angels, he would have. But there's something that he wants of us that can't be created directly. It has to be developed. It has to be worked on. It's a process. And what God is doing is he is taking us, humanity, through a process. And where we are now is where he wants us to be. And our relationship to him is now through his spirit. He's still with us, still watching over us, still arranging things so that we can grow and develop. But the relationship is very different now. Now, one of the things that Yeshua says is, you will do greater things than I did. Now, does anybody believe he's greater than Yeshua? I don't, personally. I mean, there may be some people that do, but I don't. So what does he mean when he says, you're going to do greater things than I did? What I'm suggesting to you is it's quantity, not quality. Yeshua was able to still the storm. He's in a boat, rocking around, and all his disciples are panicking. He stop, knock it off. Everything goes calm. He's able to open blind eyes. He's able to heal the sick. He's able to do all sorts of things. And he's saying, you will do greater things than these. So what does he mean? There's more of you than there are of me. In other words, as I'm Yeshua, as I'm walking among you as a man, I can reach out and I can lay hands on somebody and heal them. But there are billions of people who are not standing around me and I can't touch them because right now I am a man. I can pray for the storm to be stilled. I'll tell you a story briefly. My brother-in-law, fine Lutheran man, they were having trouble one spring because they had late rains and nobody in the valley could get his fields plowed to get his crops planted. And the time was rapidly coming where if we don't get the crops in the ground, we are not going to get a harvest because winter will come before they ripen. This is a big concern to a farmer, obviously. And it rained, and it rained. And we were there, and I said, no. And so I went out on the back porch, and I started praying. And I said, stop, be still. And the rain stopped. And it stopped for about three or four days, and they were able to get the place plowed and get the crops in, and the rain started again. Now, don't get me wrong, the sky didn't clear, and sunshine and birds, it just sort of settled down and went from rain to sort of a mist. In other words, it was not like Yeshua where everything just, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not Yeshua. But I went out and I prayed because God, you said that greater things will we do than you did. And I'm thinking about that quantitatively, not qualitatively. My stopping of the storm was not nearly as dramatic and effective as his stopping of the storm. But there's more of me, or more of you, than there is of him. So there's lots of places we can do stuff. And one of the things that Yeshua does is he looks at a situation and he changes reality. You're dead. Knock it off. Get up. You're sick. Stop. You have an issue of blood. Stop it. You're blind. Open your eyes. We have a storm here. Stop it. So what... Yeshua does to show us how 
is he goes into these situations, and what power does Yeshua use? The Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit landed on him, right? He uses the power of the Holy Spirit. And what God says in his word here is, I'm going to give you that same Spirit. And what I expect you to do is use the power that I have given you for purposes that are pleasing to me. That's what he said. And it's not going to be the case that you're going to be walking along and all of a sudden God is going to drown a bunch of Egyptians around you anymore. He doesn't do that now. What he wants you to do is go out and fight the Egyptians, change reality, and do it in the name of his Holy Spirit. So when Yeshua says, you guys saw all the stuff I did, you're going to do more. What he's saying is there's more of you, you got more hands, you got more voices, you're spread out all over the world, so you're going to do more stuff than I did. And that's your job. And the point of this whole thing is this is all moving to where the Torah is written on your heart and you have a direct relationship with God. So, rock change reality. <laughs> 